0: We've been wrestling with that question for the last uh, few weeks and want to finish that conversation this weekend. Before we jump into that, I just want to reiterate one more time about these discovery groups. If you think to yourself, man, they talk about discovery groups a lot, you are right. This is your sign from God. So if, uh, if you, this is the way it works, if you feel disconnected at grace in any way, uh, if maybe you feel disconnected because you've only been here for a couple of weeks, or maybe you've just been here forever and you don't feel disconnected, you need to get into a discovery group. It absolutely will change the way uh, that you interact with Grace Church and very well may change the way that you interact with God because of all that you'll be exposed to through there. So come out this afternoon. It's in this room uh, right after this service, and we'll watch the kids for you. You get to hang out with me. You're welcome. And uh, <clears throat> we'll get lunch for everybody. And we would love to, to do that even today. So put it on your to-do list if you can. Little Christ is a conversation that we've been having. And we basically have been talking about how the word Christian, the way that we use it today is very different than the way that it was originally used as. And it's not because it's some big sin. It's just the way culture works and the way that words change. Back in the day when the word Christian first came out, it was an accusation It was a stereotype. Somebody would look at somebody who believed that Jesus was God, believed that he rose again from the dead, who had committed their life to kind of walking like, talking like, thinking like, loving like Jesus Christ, who wanted to mirror Jesus Christ. And someone from the outside of that group would look on the inside and say, those guys are just, a they're all in the Jesus. They're like radically in the Jesus. They're just a bunch of little Jesuses, little Christ, Christians, Christians. And that's where the term came from. It was an accusation. It wasn't a label that you would take on yourself. Over time, in the way that language works, the word Christian has come to mean different things and especially today when you when we talk about being a christian usually we're talking about something to do with a uh, a subculture like i listen to christian music or i go to a christian bookstore whatever right or we use it as a self identifier so i'm not i'm not a muslim i'm i'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a Hindu, I'm a Christian, right? And so we would exclude ourselves from other groups and identify this one. Uh, We might say we live in a Christian nation, which means that Easter and Christmas are holidays, right? So that's what it's kind of come to mean. And that's why all kinds of people who adopt the term Christian themselves live all kinds of different ways. Some of them are very committed to being passionate followers of Jesus Christ, and some of them would have no interest in that whatsoever, but they would all call themselves a Christian. Now, it's interesting that Jesus never used the word. He never used the word. The disciples never used the word. What Jesus called for is he called for disciples, and disciples has a very narrow meaning that has not shifted over time. A disciple is one who loves, follows, and is fully devoted to their master. So a disciple's goal is to mirror the master. They, they want to be mistaken for the master, and people would look at the way that they think or the way they act or the way that they would live, and they'd say, you got to be a disciple of so-and-so. So you do this, you do that. You must be a disciple of Jesus or a disciple of whoever, and that's what Jesus called for, and that was the big mission statement he gave to the church. Uh, Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to baptize people in the name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything that I've commanded you. I want you to make disciples. He never said make Christians. He never asked us to gather or to create Christians. He said, I want you to make disciples. So we've just been looking at that whole idea, and we said disciples of Jesus uh, take on the heart and the mind of Jesus, and it, it's pretty obvious that they do that. So disciples of Jesus are for people. They're not against people. Uh, disciples of Jesus are known for our love. Uh, kind of the, the hallmark of a disciple is that we love each other, and then we love Radically, We love our enemies. We don't seek vengeance. We don't repay evil for evil. We'll sell everything that we have and we'll give it to the poor. We'll uproot our lives and go all over the world to preach the gospel. Like we'll do these crazy things because we love people and we wanna love people the way that Christ has loved us. And that's the hallmark of a disciple, right? And we said, if you wanna know what Jesus means by what Jesus uh, says, you have to look at what Jesus did. So Jesus defined love for us. John 13, he showed us the full extent of his love. His definition of loving someone was not be nice, be kind, you know, not be a hippie kind of thing. His definition of loving someone was lay your life down. He showed us the full extent of his love when he went to the cross. So he suffered for us because he loves us. He died for us because he loves us. He even rose again for us because he loves us. He did all that on purpose and by his own power. And he says, I want you, I want my disciples to love people like that, sacrificially, with abandon, radically, all in, in crazy ways I want you to love like that. And when you love each other and you love your enemies and whoever else like that, people will know you're my disciples. It will be unmistakable. That will mark you as a, as a people group. So we've been having that conversation for a bunch of weeks and all, the, all those details kind of those full conversations are out online at bath.graceohio.org. So go there, hit the media tab. You can listen to them, you can watch them. Uh, you can get a podcast for free through iTunes if you want. It'll, it'll just come to you, and you can kind of fill in all those blanks. This weekend, as we conclude this conversation, I want to show you one other kind of marking of a disciple, and this one's different. The, the big mark of a disciple is that they love the Lord Jesus with all their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength. They love their neighbors, their self. So love is the big hallmark. This is another kind of marking of a disciple, and, and it's something that's a little bit more tangible. You can kind of get your hands around it. You can kind of touch it, feel it, understand it a little bit. And I want to show you what that is and how that works and how that shows up in our, uh, our big calling to follow Jesus. So a few years ago, I was having a conversation with a group of guys. By the way, men, uh, every Tuesday morning, I lead a Bible study out in the cafe, Uh, And we start between 6.45 and 7 o'clock. You're all welcome to come. Some guys come late. Some guys leave early. But uh, every Tuesday morning, we're out there. And what we do is we go through the Bible word by word. So we, ju- we literally just finished the New Testament, and we just started over. So it's a great time to, if you want to learn the whole New Testament word by word, it's a great time to jump into the Bible study. It'll take us about a decade to get through it all, but it's a lot of fun. And it's only for men. I'm sorry, ladies. We, we can't come to Passionate Pursuit or Moms Matters. You can't come to Men's Bible Study, okay? So it's just for, uh, just for us, but you're all welcome to be there. And a few years ago, we were going through word by word, verse by verse through the Bible, and we were, we were in this part of the Bible that talked about the cost of discipleship and what it meant to follow Jesus. And one of the guys asked a great question. <clears throat> he said, he said uh, so Jeff, he goes, so how do you know? Like, how do you know? I mean, how, 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 do, how, do, how can I look at somebody else and say, you know, they're truly dedicated to Christ? How can I look at the mirror and look at myself and say, I'm truly dedicated to Christ? Because this love thing, it's like hard to measure and your motives and all that kind of stuff. It's a little bit confusing. So like, how do you know? Is there something tangible? And I, I said, uh, actually, I noticed something. And I can tell you this. I, I, I have been a, I've been a pastor now for uh, about 22 years. And over those 22 years, I have noticed a pattern that is highly typical of someone who is committed to being a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. So not not a cultural Christian, different, but someone who says, I'm a disciple, I wanna know God, I wanna know his heart, I wanna know his mind, I wanna reflect that in my life. And I've noticed that a person like that typically, not always, but typically has a, a mark about them that you can measure a little bit. And my friend asked that question and I said, this is what I see, what I see of someone who is passionate about following Jesus Christ is this. They stop arguing with the Bible. That's what I notice. They stop arguing with the Bible. Their relationship with the Bible changes. They're not taking parts of the Bible and building soapboxes out of them. They're not looking to cut corners. They're not rationalizing away certain parts of the Bible. They're not trying to paint the edges. They're not asking, how little do I have to do? Uh, to get around it, but they they stop arguing with the Bible, and their beginning point with their interaction with the Bible is this, God, I wanna know you, I wanna follow you, show me yourself so that I know who to become, and that's what I want. Uh, What I notice a lot over all these years of being a pastor is cultural Christians always argue with the Bible, and I am usually begging them oftentimes to pay attention to the Bible, like at all, right? Find your Bible, turn your app on something, right? Pay attention to the Bible at all. And then they'll get into the Bible and they'll argue away or they'll rationalize away parts of it. And, and I noticed that if you're a cultural Christian, that's what you do, it's how we were raised, it's what we're taught to do. With someone who's a disciple of Jesus, it's the other side of it. I, I have to, the Bible has this phrase that we're to temper zeal with wisdom, and someone who's a disciple of Jesus, I find that that's my role as their pastor, that I'm, bringing, I'm trying to bring some wisdom to their zeal and like help them understand that. So for instance, um, my dad, my dad was a guy like this. My dad accepted Christ in his mid-30s and he started reading the Bible. And uh, the, the old King James Version of the Bible had this weird little phrase in it. And it, it just was a translation thing. And it said, you should go into your closet and Pray right? It's one of the things the Bible said in that old translation. And my dad, when he accepted Christ for like the first two or three years, would go into a closet and pray. That's what he did. And our pastor had to temper his zeal with wisdom. So my dad was like, well, the Bible said it, so I'm going to go into the closet and pray. And it's only after a few years where our pastor was like, Clarence, you don't, you don't actually have to go into the closet. It's kind of like this figure of speech kind of thing. And like explain it. But he, he, wasn't, he wasn't pulling my dad back from his passion. He was just showing him all that the Bible meant. A disciple of Jesus Christ interacts with the Bible that way. They're not, they're not looking for a corner to cut. They're not looking for a soapbox. It's not the pastor saying, listen, you really should be kind or loving or giving or whatever. It's the other way around, where that zeal is tempered with wisdom and that relationship with the Bible changes. Now, if you were raised in the church, You know exactly what i'm talking about perhaps if you weren't raised in the church that generally is your preconceived idea about how christians work because you see the hypocrisy of it and you see how it it works let me show you let me show you how it works grab your bibles and go to galatians chapter five i'll show you what how this usually functions right This is kind of how a cultural Christian would interact with the Bible typically. I have done it. Sometimes I still am tempted to do it. I bet you have too, or you've seen it. So Galatians chapter 5 is page 813 of those Bibles in the chairs. If you want to use your phone, we use the YouVersion app. All right? So what happens is this, a cultural Christian, the, the Bible has lists in it. There's all kinds of lists in the Bible. So the Ten Commandments is a list, right? And there's good lists like the fruits of the Spirit. There's bad lists like the one I'm about to show you, right? So a cultural Christian will read the Bible or hear a sermon or whatever about it, and they'll come across the list And we love lists because lists are things that we feel like we can check off and accomplish, right? If I check off and I accomplish my list, then that means I'm in good with God. So Galatians chapter five is a list. Uh, Verse 19, this particular list happens to be the acts of the flesh. So the, the writer says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we got a list, right? So I come across the list. I I, wanna, I just want to knock out my list so I can kind of appease God. And so as a cultural Christian, what I'll tend to do is I'll tend to read a list. I'll tend to find something on the list that I am particularly good at, and I'll seek to conquer that thing on the list. So uh, the first thing on the list is sexual immorality. So I'm gonna look at sexual immorality and I'm gonna think to myself, okay, all I have to do is get my sexual morality in play and that means I please God and so that'll, that'll like, knock that out and I'll, I'll get to heaven. So I'm gonna start building a soapbox out of sexual immorality, and I'm gonna look and say, I have conquered sexual immorality and I don't look at pornography and I don't watch nasty movies and, and I don't do any of these. I, I was a virgin when I got married and, and I have accomplished sexual immorality. I built a soapbox. Then I'm gonna start governing my relationships within the church based on my accomplishment of sexual immorality. I'm gonna start looking at other people that way. Well, they're obviously not sexually pure. I mean, that that baby was born out of wedlock, they've been divorced, I think they're living together. I don't know their story, but they just look like they sleep with each other, right? And so I'm going to start judging everybody by that sexual morality, and then I'm going to, off of that soapbox, I'm going to look at the world around me. So movies are so sexually immoral, and that pop music, it's all about that bass, that (laughs) bass. No Trouble, I know what that song actually means. It's not talking about, about, about a bad sound system. It's sexual, right? And so we're gonna look at all that and I'm gonna make sexual immorality the thing that causes me to engage or disengage in relationships. And here's why this is so hard and difficult is because it's true. So it's on the list, right? So the, the, the baby born out of wedlock is a result of sexual Immorality. Living together is sexual immorality, right? Sleeping together outside of marriage, any, any kind of form of sex outside of marriage is the Bible calls sexual immorality. So it's true, and the culture is hypersexualized. So all that's true, but it's my soapbox. And I found the list, and I conquered something on the list that makes me right with God. Now you can invert, that's kind of one side of it, like one wing of it. There's another wing over here where I'm gonna water down what the Bible says. So I'm gonna come across the list and I'm gonna look at the list. I'm gonna think, hmm, that's a really demanding list. Let's, let's rationalize away the list, right? So God, God doesn't expect us to be pure all the time. I mean, we're not even wired that way. And, and this, dis- this dissension, these fact, I mean, come on. It's unreasonable. The Bible doesn't mean that. I mean, you can't take the Bible literally. There's all kinds of stuff in the Bible. I mean, literally, are we supposed to stone our children when they misbehave, like Leviticus says? I mean, we can't take the Bible literally. So everything leads to God. It's all about your intention. It's well-intentioned people looking for a higher power, and we should just all coexist. That's, that's what it should do. So don't worry about any, any of it, and don't Don't be radical about it, right? And those become positions. That's a cultural Christianity. I'm a Christian because I don't overreact to the Bible. I'm a Christian because I've staked a claim and I'm not budging on it, right? Now, here's the problem. Anybody who's a thinker will look at the same list and say, you guys are both nuts. (laughs) You're both nuts, because you're, you're saying it's all about sexual immorality and yet your stance, there's other stuff on the list like factions, discord, fits of rage, selfish ambition, like I don't associate with people. I am fits of rage, you're a pervert, right? Fits of rage, discord, selfish ambition, I conquer something, now I'm gonna control you with it. So you, you work something out on a list, but you ignore the rest of the list. It doesn't make any sense, because the list is, it's all listed equally, right? It's all the same thing. And then over here, a thinking person would look and say, okay, so you're saying nothing counts, so orgies are cool? I mean, that seems like, I don't know. And witchcraft, that's on the list? So it, it's totally cool in the name of Jesus that we, like, draw a pentagram and sacrifice a cat and worship. Okay, not the pentagram, maybe the cat, maybe. I mean, there's an argument there, but, but right? So a thinking person is going to look and say, you're, there's, there's, you're saying none of the list matters, and obviously part of the list matters. And you're saying the only thing on the list that matters is this one. And we were raised this way, right? If you grew up in church, you were raised this way. And if you didn't grow up in church, you were raised this way. And we approach the Bible this way, In both of those sides in the name of Christianity will make those claims. The church I grew up in, we did this all the time, I, I, there were rules, and, and somehow they proof text those rules out of the Bible. We weren't allowed to use playing cards growing up, poker, like a poker deck, you weren't allowed to use it. Somehow that was of the devil. You could, you could play rook, you could play uno, which is playing a game with cards, but you couldn't use this deck of cards. You couldn't play euchre and you couldn't play rummy. And if you played poker, the earth would open them. You just go to hell, right? And it's, it's like, that's the way that, that was a rule that we had to follow. We weren't allowed to dance, no dancing. It's, it's of the devil. You couldn't square dance, you couldn't waltz, you couldn't dance with your wife. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't even shuffle your feet in church. You could shuffle like, like this, but if your feet move, you crossed the line. Because, because if you dance, dance turned into sexuality and then you'd have sex and then you, she'd get pregnant and then you, you'd do crack cocaine or something, right? And so it's like, there's no dancing. And it, we couldn't go to the drive-in. No drive-ins. I, I did not go to a drive-in movie till I was 35 years old and I felt a little dirty when I went. <laughs> right? Because if you go to a drive-in, you might start dancing, have sex, and do crack Okay. And so, so you just, right? And that was the rule. It's like, where in the world did you come up with this at? Right? And you would look at that and say, and then over here, this extreme, what happens in this extreme, this extreme over here, you want to control people so you make the Bible say what, it, what you want it to say so you can control them. Over here, what you do is you worship the culture. So whatever is going on in the culture, you look at the culture first and then you make the Bible say whatever you want it to say to agree with the culture. Right, so living a homosexual lifestyle is totally fine. It is, yeah, the Bible says it, it does, yeah. David and Jonathan were gay. They were, yeah. I mean, it says right there, like he put his head on his bosom. They were friends. They loved each other. They were gay. What? Yeah, the, I look at the culture and then I make the Bible match the culture. And and both of these things, in the name of Christianity, we're looking at this stuff and any thinking person will look at either one of those extremes and say, that is crazy. Like you guys are, obviously you're twisting the Bible, that's insane. And, and what I want to say is, all right, careful now, because it's no more insane than what you do. What I do, we do it too. And we say that we're Christians. Yeah, it, I know the Bible says don't sleep together till, till you're married, but we're married in our heart and spirit. We're married. Oh, well, why don't you... Why don't you legalize it? Well, because you know. I thought you were together forever. See? The tithing is an old testament principle. That's why I don't do it, because I just will not be locked into that legalism. So is don't murder. There's a lot of old testament principles and we'll do it too. We'll find a rationalization, a justification, to build a soapbox, or a rationalization and a justification to cut a corner, all in the name of Christianity. Now, one of the things I see, I, just, I see it, is the disciple of Jesus Christ doesn't approach the Bible like this. They, they, they don't approach the Bible from a personal agenda. And then they don't prove their personal agenda using the proof text of scripture. A disciple of Jesus Christ, someone who is in love with Christ, I wanna love Christ with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. I wanna love my neighbor as myself, as my passion, as my desire. A, A disciple of Jesus Christ will approach the Bible very differently. And this becomes a very, very, very big deal because Jesus is the one. Jesus said, this, this confusion, this delineation between a cultural Christian and a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's all gonna show up on this side of kind of life, and it's gonna show up in your relationship with me. Let me show you this. If you, if you start breaking this down, you, you start to see it in some very, very telling ways. For instance, a Christian will talk themselves in and out of any part of the Bible. This is where Jesus is like, this is going to show up in your life. A Christian is going to talk themselves out of any any part of the Bible, in or out of it. A disciple is going to have a heart that reflects the heart of Jesus. John chapter four, verse 34, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to accomplish his work. I live for the will of my father. What I want more than anything is to honor my father. It's literally what sustains me in life. A Christian is going to proof text her life. I can do this or I can't do this. A disciple is going to say, no, I'm going to the scripture to know the heart and the mind of God. A Christian is going to use theology and tradition to justify uh, as a justification to live in contradiction to the heart of God. This has always been the case. Christian, in the name of Christianity, we've murdered people. In the name of Christianity, we, we affirmed racism. In the name of Christianity, we devalued people. It's, it's always happened. A disciple, a disciple's passion is reminiscent of Paul's heart cry. Philippians chapter three, Paul says, I want to know Christ. I'm not trying to prove a point. I'm not trying to justify my actions. I'm not trying to find a way to live in sin. I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection. I want to be used by God, transformed by God, renewed by God. A Christian thinks that the Bible is a personal proof text, right? Honey, the Bible says you have to listen to me and do what I say. Right here, Ephesians chapter five. Sweetheart, the Bible says you have to submit to me and love me. If your wife sounds like that, I'm sorry, but, right? We're, We're proving back and forth. You've got to obey your parents. Listen to the Lord, teenager. We'll prove it. We'll hammer each other with it. A disciple doesn't think of the Bible as a way to prove people wrong or right. A disciple thinks of the Bible as a mirror that exposes them to themselves. James 1, therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all they do. A Christian is going to look and say, You better do this because the Bible says. A disciple is going to look and say, Oh, what, look what the Bible says about me. I don't want to distort the reflection of God in me. I don't I don't want to mess up or get in the way of someone seeing Christ in me. I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I'm a member of re, of, of, of a minister of reconciliation. As if Christ himself were making his appeal through me. I don't want to taint that tarnish it mess it up in any way. God's word show me how to cleanse my life so that my life can be a better reflection of your love. I wake up in the morning with the Bible, not to control my wife, but to learn how to love her as Christ. I wake up in the morning not to figure out how to accuse my husband, but to love him and give my life to him. See, It's a completely different starting point. And one of the things I've I've just noticed over couple decades of trying to lead people spiritually, is a disciple of Jesus Christ stops that argument. They start with God's word at a completely different place, and they're not looking for moral behaviors, a list to check off. They're looking for how do I love? How do I receive love and extend love to the people that God has put into my path? It's the hallmark of their life. Now where this gets spiritually dangerous is when we accept cultural Christianity and call it discipleship. And we never press into the heart of God. And it's Jesus who says, this is all gonna catch up with you one day. It catches up with you this side of heaven and then in eternity it becomes a huge problem. Look at it, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter seven, the Bible says several places that every human being is gonna stand before God and give an account of themselves before God. There's a big judgment. That big judgment is called the great white throne judgment. It's the inner out judgment. You go to heaven or you don't. So Jesus is talking here in Matthew chapter seven about the great white throne judgment, about the in or out judgment. And this is what he says. Listen, these are Jesus's words. They're not mine. I'm quoting Jesus. Verse 21, chapter seven, Matthew. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Look at this. This is terrifying. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Terrifying. Many will turn to me on that day and say, Lord, I was a Christian. I took the label. I participated in the activities. I listened to the music, I wore the t-shirt, I went to church, I kept the, I kept the rules. Jesus, I was a virgin when I got married. I did all this in your name. And Jesus says, I'm gonna have to look at them plainly and say, I don't know you, I don't know you. What, I, I, what do you mean, I did all this stuff. I never asked you to do this stuff. I never called anyone to be a Christian. I called you to be a disciple. And you kept all these rules, but you didn't love me. And you did all this stuff, but you didn't love the people I called you to love. It's the one who does the will of the Father. Well, what's the will of the Father? Is it holy living? No. Is it religious activity? No. Is it big checks to the church? No. What's the will of the father? The will of the father, if you wanna know what God means by what God says, you have to look at what God did. And what God did was he sent his only son to do what? To seek and save the lost, to provide a way of escape, to serve as a rescuer, to be an atoning sacrifice. God loved the world So he gave what was most precious to him. The will of the Father is to love. The will of the Father is to seek and to save the lost. The will of the Father is not to be nice. The will of the Father is not to live a moral life. The average Mormon or the average Muslim will live a much more moralistic life than the average Christian does. There's many more controls on their life than there would be on the average Christian's life. I didn't ask you to be a Christian. I ask you to be a disciple and a disciple will do my will and that will is to love. And when you love, you'll wind up doing all the right behavioral things anyways. Let me show you this. Flip over to Romans. This is going to blow your mind. Buckle up for this one. You may need an Advil. Romans chapter 13. Here it is. It's this massive. Romans chapter 13, verse eight. Paul's talking on God's behalf. He says this: Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus. Guy asked Jesus one time. The Lord your God, throw your heart, soul, and mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the commandments hang on that. When I love Christ and I love my neighbor, I wind up doing all the right things. My love for Christ conforms my life to Christ. My love for my neighbor conforms my behavior toward other people. The one who loves fulfills the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, The Ten Commandments, and then every other thing that the Bible says we should do or should not do. The Commandments, and whatever other commandment there may be, look at it, are summed up in this one commandment love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I was a virgin. I found something on the list. That's great. I mean, good for you, I guess. But if you love Christ, and you love that woman that you're dating, you're gonna protect her purity anyways. Because love is patient and love is kind. It doesn't delight in evil. Somebody that you love, you're not gonna lead towards sexual immorality anyways. You're gonna wind up conforming your behavior because you have wound up surrendering the control of your life to Christ. I stopped looking at pornography. That's fine, but people who are passionate followers of Jesus don't, don't engage in pornography anyways. Why, does that get you to heaven? No, because you look at someone, a stranger who you don't know, and you don't lust after her body. You don't abuse her body. She's not a piece of paper. She's not an image on a computer screen. She's a daughter of God. If I love her, I don't treat her like a piece of meat for my own pleasure. That's why I don't look at pornography. Because I I care about the photo, the image, the video on this the person behind that. When I love her as my neighbor, I have a terrible time lusting after her. I'm gonna be the best mom I can possibly be. You're gonna fail at that. If that means get get your actions and your attitude on it, you're gonna fail at it every time. But if you look to be the most passionate disciple of Jesus Christ, he's going to change who you are and how you think and how you function and you'll wind up being a great mom. You'll wind up being a great friend. You'll wind up being a great child. You'll wind up being an amazing brother or sister in Christ, because love fulfills the law. You don't have to work the law. You'll fail. If we could work the law, we'd all work our way to heaven, anyways. When I love, love is the fulfillment of the law. It will change the way that I function, it changes my relationship with God, and it changes my relationship with other people. In fact. It is the only true hallmark of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Remember 1 John? 1 John chapter 4, Jesus' best friend lived his whole adult life finding Jesus, following Jesus. He's now an old man, and he summarizes up the whole deal in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. And following, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. That word born in the Greek means fathered. Everyone who loves has been fathered by God, has God's DNA. He's been spiritually born again and God is your father. When I love, it's my father's DNA that's coming out of me. I can't stop it. I can't help it. I don't want to stop it, I don't want to help it. In fact, I may pursue the heart and mind of God through his scriptures so that I can do that more and more effectively and be a truer reflection of him. Everybody who loves is born of and knows God. Ready, verse eight, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son, the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. As in his son is an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us a spirit that we have seen and testified that God has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they live in God. And so we know and rely on God's love that he has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God lives in them. This is how God's love is made complete among us so that we can have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Who did what? Well, if you wanna know what Jesus says by what Jesus, what Jesus means by what Jesus says, you gotta look at what Jesus did. How are we like Jesus? We love. Love how? Like his suffering and his death. Radically, all in, sacrificially, with abandon, eagerly. When that comes out of my life, I don't have any fear that I'm gonna be the guy in Matthew chapter seven that didn't make it. Because that tells me that that love has been born into me. Look at verse 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There's no fear in love, how come? Because if I'm trying to keep the rules to get to heaven, I should probably be really, really nervous about that. I barely got one thing down on a very long list. It's one list of many lists in the Bible. But If I love, God has birthed that love in me. I can't stop it, and it fulfills the law anyways. There's no fear. I'm not worried whether I'm gonna get into heaven or not. because God has changed me. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen can't love God who they cannot see, he's given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love God their brother, and their sister. And then all of a sudden, being a cultural Christian, whether I built a soapbox or whether I created a rationalization, makes no sense. It's not gonna work. It's not even like in the universe of what God is asking for. All of a sudden, all the trappings and rules of religion that we've all grown up and hate and despise. And if we think about it for more than a minute or two, realize the hypocrisy of, you can look at what Jesus called us to. He's not asking for any of that. It doesn't matter to him. And all the rationalization and justification where I whittle the Bible down and water it down so that I basically wind up being able to do whatever I want to do, it makes no, You don't have to think about it long. It makes no sense. It's not what Jesus asked for. But when I start looking at Jesus, the hard truth about myself is inarguable. And the amazing truth about who he is is inarguable. And there's a savior who loves me, so he came to rescue me from my mess that is my mess. I just got to own it. I am the sexually immoral person. I am the idolater, it's just true. And There's a God of truth that also is a God of grace. He loves me and he knows that about me. And he has compassion, the whole reason he showed up and the whole reason he suffered and the whole reason he died is because I can't fix this myself. And he didn't call me to jump into a subculture and he didn't call me to participate in religion. He called me to follow him, love him, be fully devoted to him. He even gave me a book that helps me understand what that means. And when I do that, and this God of love renews my mind and changes my heart and makes me into a new creation, guess what's gonna happen? My life is gonna stick out like a sore thumb because whether I have to disagree with you or whether I'm forgiving you for the 170th millionth time, I love you as I have been loved by God. This is why Jesus says, go make disciples and baptize them. He gave us a symbol of baptism. He says, yeah, this is why you get dunked. Why do you get dunked? Can I just jump in the pool three times? No. Right? I had a lady one time say, can you you baptize me in private? I'm a little self-conscious. Nope, gotta be publicly. Seriously? Yep, it's not about getting wet. What is it? It's the public proclamation that I signed up. To be a Christian? No. To be a disciple. Just as Jesus died and rose again, I, spiritually, I died to myself. I'm out. I am not, I'm not living for me anymore. I'm not getting baptized to be a part of the church. I'm not getting baptized to receive a salvation. I'm letting the world know that I am dead to myself. I am something different. And just like Christ was buried and rose again, I am buried in Christ and my sins are cleansed and I'm resurrected as a new thing, fathered by God. And I'm letting the whole planet know, anybody that'll listen, that what I want, the hallmark of my life is not that I started becoming religious and not that I finally quit smoking, drinking, chewing, dating girls who do, I became a mature grown-up. The whole drive of my life is I wanna love Christ with everything in me. And when I love Christ with everything in me, I'm not gonna be able to stop myself from loving the people that are near me. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Whole different deal. Whole different deal. Okay. Now guys, this is a lot. This is a lot, right? I know, I know everybody's borrowing Advil and everybody is like, ah. Because if you grew up in the church, it unplugs a lot. It unplugs a lot, and if you're on this conservative side, it sounds liberal. He's saying there's no rules. Nope, I'm saying that everything functions out of relationship, and when you're locked in with God, your your behavior will take care of itself. And if you're over on this side, you're like, he sounds like a right-wing, hardcore radical. Right. (laughs) Pretty much giving your life over to God and enslaving yourself to Christ, which is how the Bible describes it, is a relatively radical thing to do, right? It's not about life improvement and self-help. It's about surrender, submission, death to yourself. But any thinking person on either side of this can pretty clearly see that the call of Jesus The call of Jesus is different. The call of Jesus is all in. The call of Jesus is life changing. And the more that I download the enormity of what Christ did for me, the more the call of Jesus makes all the sense in the world. Because the one debt I have is the continuing debt of love. The love of God never ceases. The transformation of God never stops. And so every person I come across with, yeah, I'm never gonna be able to love them more than Christ loves me. It's the one thing I can't pay off in my life. And I live like that. I live like that. No matter if you're my best friend, if you're my kid, if you're my spouse, if you're my roommate, or if you hate my guts, Christ still loves me so much that I can love you. And that marks, it defines a little Christ. That's who God calls us to be. All right. We want to create a little space here for you to, like, think and breathe some. so. If you want to bow your heads and close your eyes, you can do that. If you don't, it's up to you. However, however you can like concentrate with God. And I encourage you to just spend some time with God. I don't have like three, three things to take away to go be a good Christian. Like, I, it's, it's not that kind of conversation. So what you have to do is you have to be with God. Maybe pray, maybe give God a little freedom and latitude in your life. Ask the hard question, am I a Christian or am I a disciple? It's a very different question. What do I wanna be? What did I sign up for, right? So you think about it, you pray about it, the band will settle in and they'll help us kind of zero in through music and then we'll celebrate God's goodness, but we'll wrestle with this question, it's the core of it all. That's what God calls us to. Jesus, help us, thanks for loving us, thanks for coming to us, Lord, for being for us. And all of this needs process on the most individual level. So God, I pray that every individual in here, wherever they're at in their interaction with you, that you will personally and deeply and dynamically interact with them even now. God, let us yield to you, yield to your word, be engrossed with your love, follow you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.